Public Radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Steve Inskeep. And I'm Aisha Roscoe. One of the things you can count on from NPR and this station, we've got your back. When it comes to reporting the news, bringing you facts you can count on. You can help by donating a vehicle you no longer need. That car could be worth hundreds of dollars in support or more as a donation. Think about it. We accept any vehicle, running or not, including cars, trucks, boats, RVs, motorcycles, and more. Donate at WJFFRadio.org. Support for Radio Catskill comes from Farm Arts Collective, located on Willow Wisp Organic Farm in Damascus, Pennsylvania. Farm Arts Collective's programs intersect the practices of farming, performance, food, and ecology. FarmArtsCollective.org. From the Community Foundation of Orange and Sullivan, a publicly supported philanthropic institution, CFOSNY.org. And from listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org. Hi, everybody. This is Greg on Travels with Triggs on WJFF. Travels with Travels with Travels with Triggs. Who's he gonna talk to now? What's he gonna talk about? Where we gonna go? Travels with Triggs. Hi, everyone. We're back. And today we are talking to the Reverend Christine Sobania Johnson, an old friend of mine who is currently preaching in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And we're going to talk about faith during the holidays different approaches, keeping an open mind and an open heart so that both sides of the equation can be heard, discussed, and felt. So welcome, Chris. Thank you. This is uh, exciting to be here with you, Greg. Well, it's exciting to catch up with an old friend and get some work done at the same time. Uh, So very quickly, Chris, why don't you just tell everyone how we met? Oh, sure. So um, we've both of us go back to being Wisconsinites in our youth. And uh, and, and Greg and I were, uh, actually, we ran in a couple of s- similar circles. I don't know if he remembers this, but so we, we both grow up going, um, attending the same denominational church and going to summer church camp and stuff together. But we were also both uh, theater geeks and such in high school. And and my school, his school, our schools had uh, what were called forensic teeth. Teams, public speaking teams. And so I bump into Greg on on a Saturday at a high school someplace in southern Wisconsin and uh, and we'd be there to compete and and uh, develop our speaking skills and acting skills. And so that was fun. So it was neat that they cross pollinated. Both of which appear to have paid off. Uh, we were also <laughs> pen pals between uh, summers between our, our yeah. church campuses. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for any of the families that are listening out there that think about sending their kids to church camp, I would encourage that. I think the foundation that gave me kept me away from all sorts of trouble. Yeah, we we had uh we developed good just just good people skills uh being together and 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 learning how to care for one another in a fun environment. And I think getting away from home uh, getting away from from your ordinary life uh, lets you focus a little more on depth and on other human beings, and and it's really developmentally positive. And just being around caring adults that are not your parents, I think, mm-hmm. is important as well. Now, one of the first things I want to ask you, because I'm always confused about this, is reverend versus pastor. I always wonder, do different denominations, you're Moravian, uh, does the Moravian Church have a guideline about that? Is it up to the uh, individual? How is that handled? 
Well, I, I think from denomination to denomination, it does vary. The title is the reverend. Um, but what we do, our, our task as church leaders is really to pastor, um, you know, to, to, to guide the flock. <laughs> so, so pastor does go to pasture or sheep. You know, it does. It, it does. And so, um, I, I usually don't mind if any of my parishioners just call me by my first name. I never go by the Reverend Christine, um, uh, you know, except when I'm signing professional letters and stuff. Um, I'll invite people to call me Chris. Um, usually parents will say, Ooh, that's too casual. I want my kid to be able to, to respect you. So, so we usually agree on Pastor Chris. Um, so. Chris or Pastor Chris and well, Pastor Chris, uh, <laughs> what what inspired you to become a minister? You know, many say they have a calling or some sort of passion through which the church can provide an outlet. Uh, what was your inspiration? Well, a, a little of both, a, a little sort of just naturally who I was in the circumstances I grew up in, and a little bit of kind of that. Um, prodding from God. Um, and so um, I, you know, I, I was one of those kids who really related more to the adults in my life than my peers. So I, I would find myself conversing at, at pretty deep levels with my pastors and my mentors, my church camp counselors. Um, and, and so I, and I just really enjoyed watching them and seeing what they did. And I was also kind of theatrical and kind of musical and loved literature and, and and it seemed to me that well if you get up and you talk in front of people every week you know you get to do you get, you get to use a little bit of all of that so um so really it was just sort of an amalgam it, it just came about of all all the gifts that I have all the interests that I have oh plus that interesting God business well and, uh, when you when I heard you had become a minister I was not surprised thank you I I did have a uh, I would call it a holy moment when I was about fifteen. Um, I was I was a, an angry teenager for a little while. Um, we my family had moved, and I didn't know anybody in the neighborhood. You know that's a lousy thing to do to a fifteen year old. And so I was I was ticked, and I was yelling at God someday one day. And was, you know you you must have a really great purpose for me if you're going to make me endure this horrible summer of my life yelling at God sort of moment. And and I prayed. I said, you know, this is so miserable. You have to give me some kind of answers. And uh, I went over to my shelf and I, and I, and I plucked the Bible off the shelf and, and I, I said, I, I'm going to open this Bible and you're going to give me an answer. And, and I, and I did. And I, you know, I went to point to the verse that was going to give me an answer. And, and instead of that, this piece of paper flew out of the Bible and it said it was handwritten. It was pencil writing, like on the ripped off corner of a church bulletin. And it said, take up your cross and follow me. And I, I kind of folded the Bible back up and I kind of put it back on the shelf and I stopped yelling at God and I got real quiet real fast. And um, that was sort of the, that was a very dramatic beginning of, yeah, this is what we're going to pursue. Wow. Well, you got, you got a clear sign. That's for sure. <laughs> No. I was pretty nasty about it. I was pretty demanding. <laughs> well, it seems like God came right back at you. Um, so let's talk for the people who might not know this. Tell them about your background in education, what kind of studying you had to do to get this title and the opportunity to become a pastor. 
Well, I will say that in our in, in our Moravian world, and that, that is a Protestant denomination, that's a really little one, and not everyone knows a lot about it. It's a little under the like, radar. Before we jump in, I'd like to share my memory of the creed of the Moravian Church, oh, which sure. is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, charity, and in all things, love. Isn't that awesome? That yes. is- unity is everything, and, and most things we can just let go of. I have so appreciated growing up in a church like that. I I fundamentally think I would be a different person if I had not been exposed to a a place that lived that philosophy. It is it's core. It's core. Um, God's love is everything to us, and and you can put up a with a lot. You can you can let go of a lot of details when when you recognize that's that's what's central. Um, so back but, to your education. Yeah. So it, but in our denomination, um, education is is really foundational to us. Um, in fact, one of our uh, one of our way back, way 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 back in the past, historical figures was John Amos Comenius, who is said he has often been called the father of modern education. And so he 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 was like the first person who said you should go uh, out in the woods and you know uh, observe observe the trees and the grass and the bugs and, and learn from that. And and he was one of the first uh, folks to, well, he was one of the first folks to uh, allow girls, encourage girls to be educated. He um, he invented recess. Good guy. Um, and, uh, um, oh, and he, he, he kind of invented picture books um, to, to help children learn how to read. So, so he, he's, so, so education has always been really important. So our denomination, this isn't across the boards, but our denomination, um, does require, uh, a undergrad degree. So I have an undergraduate, uh, I have a bachelor's degree from the University of Wisconsin at Whitewater. It's in English. And then, um, and then we have a, you need a seminary degree. You need a master's degree. Master of Divinity is, is what it's called. Um, you can, you can get one of those at, at, at lots of grad schools, but, but the Moravian Church does have a grad school program in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. If I move my, um, my Zoom screen, or if I, if I, if I move my camera a little bit, uh, where we're talking, you could actually see the seminary next door to where I'm living right now. Um, but that was a three-year um, degree, uh, including um, internship stuff and on-the-job training. But but yeah, basically last seven years education. Yeah, yeah. And you are married to a fellow minister, also a Moravian minister. Yes, uh, Daryl. Yes, and Daryl. Yep. How do you guys manage a family, a marriage, uh, your extended family, and multiple churches? Well, I don't know. It's one of those you do what you do because you don't know anything else. So you you jump in with uh, both feet and, and you make it work. Um, yeah. So so Daryl grew up uh, again in a in a Moravian church in Ohio, and we have. I guess when we first started out, we met while we were in seminary. Um, so we both knew what we were in for, sort of, uh, when we got married. Um, and we started out, our theory was, well, let's go kind of back and forth between the part of the world you grew up in and the part of the world I grew up in. And so we would kind of take jobs, take calls to churches uh, kind of that way. Um, but for most of our time together, we didn't really live where we had family, uh, you know, in the backyard. So like there were no grandparents to sort of re- help us raise our children and stuff. So, so it's a lot of juggling. 
But on the other hand, um, you know, a, a faith community, a local church is uh, certainly has family components to it. And um, I'll tell you, when we lived in Madison, uh, the, in, in the church, we served the church that you grew up in, Greg. Oh, and, uh, and and I would I would actually go off to another church on Sunday morning. So so the the dear people at Lakeview Church in, in Madison, just like, you know, we just dumped our children on them <laughs> and they took care of them while while help us. You know, Daryl was Daryl was a guy, you know, he, he certainly needed help with the kids. So they thought he was a perfectly competent father. But uh, yeah, I went to one church and my kids grew up um, in in Sunday school uh, being tended to by by our church family folks. So now one work. thing I feel like we are in a time where everything is contentious, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have two ministers in one family who may have different approaches. Do you find, or philosophies or opinions, do you find the debate is spirited and challenges you in a good way or is it challenging or both? Oh, interesting. Um, well, we've been married for 30, almost 33 years now. So, you know, we've, we've kind of, um, We've kind of come to the middle, <laughs> so uh, we kind of think alike these days. Um, but but certainly, uh, how we relate to our other relatives, how we relate to people in the community, it's certainly not of one mind. Um, so we try to do a lot of listening uh, to each other. We try to do a lot of listening to whoever it is is sharing their views. We try to cultivate empathy. You know, we try to hear. What's beneath the surface? I, I think sometimes so much of it is uh, these days is um, I'm saying this because my camp says this, my you know, the side that I'm on says this. I'm not sure. I'm not sure we always really even think it through. We, there's a lot of repeating what somebody else said these days. And so what I want to do is I want I want to listen for that. Daryl wants to listen for that. What's under the surface of that? You know, what's what's making you choose that position? Because it's probably not the thing. It's not the meme you're sharing on Facebook with me. It's it's something deeper than that. And so what's your hurt? I think that's where we try to enter that debate a little bit. I think it was easy. <laughs> no, if everyone concentrated on listening a little bit more, I think we could get past some of these impasses with more kindness and understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Now, speaking of uh, issues, how have you mm -hmm. and your church and your community dealt with COVID? I mean, church, the separation of church and state has been so fraught lately. And how, how have you personally addressed, you know, preaching in the era of COVID? Well, for one thing, um, I started the church I'm serving now. I started at a year ago last week, so I wasn't there for very long before the you know the wheels fell off the whole world here, and um, so I I didn't even really have an understanding for how things got done, who was who. I I still didn't really even know who my my people were, so that was really challenging uh, to come up against COVID. Then, um, I in the state of Pennsylvania, even though we certainly faced uh, periods of, of lockdown. Nobody went anywhere. And then there were certainly periods of you're only allowed to have so many people. And do you meet indoors? Do you meet outdoors? All of those rules affected people in PA. And yet churches, uh, religious organizations were exempted from following them, which 
you might say, oh, yay, that that makes it easy on you. And actually, it didn't because we chose to be we thought it was responsible uh, to adhere to the guidelines. So even though we didn't have to, um, we chose to. And uh, what we ended up doing, uh, the biggest concern was how do you how do you keep connectivity uh, when you can't gather? And lots of lots of my folks, um, probably typical, lots of uh, older congregations, the the folks aren't necessarily tech savvy. Um, they may not have that available to them. And so even though, you know, I have plenty of people who, well, we, we learned how to Zoom for one thing. I didn't know what that was uh, <laughs> back in February. Uh, you know, so but so the people who could grab onto that, um, we've had a, um, a really robust, hearty uh, opportunity to meet on screen and, and continue some of the some of the fellowship, some of the prayer, some of the support system. But but that huge concern for people who don't do that, who, who don't do tech, um, we ended up actually um, getting a transmitter and sticking it up in our church steeple. And, and we worship our Sunday, our regular Sunday worship service now takes place in our parking lot where everybody is in the safe bubble of their vehicle. And uh, I'm on the inside and a, and a couple of other key leaders are, are on the inside, like the organist. It's really hard to transport the organ out into the parking lot, you know. So uh, so we're on the inside and, and we make the service happen. Um, and, and folks just listen to it on their car radio. And um, so so that's been unique. It hasn't it, it's nobody's first choice, um, but it's it's gotten legs. It's gotten um, it's got its own charm to it. It's developed its own um habits and um it's quirky <laughs> but but it's but it's been working for us so well, we've been able to yeah we've been able to worship and uh we have just now we're just joining the live streaming world and and that's new to us um but our our worship services will going forward uh be live broadcast um but i hope the parking lot thing doesn't go away cuz it it meets the needs of of folks we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with more discussion with the Reverend Christine Sobania Johnson on Travels with Triggs. Travels with Triggs. I'm Stephen Dubner. On the next Freakonomics Radio, there is a lot of misconduct among academic researchers, even fraud. Can it be stopped? Identifying the problem is not the same thing as changing our practices. And how does scientific fraud become big business? Publishers earn more from publishing more. It's a volume play. That's next time on Freakonomics Radio. Tuesday at 1 p.m. on Radio Catskill. How best can we mark the ferocity of this winter in the Catskills and honour the good people who salt our highways, plough our roads, clear fallen trees, reconnect our utilities and tow us out of ditches when things go wrong and our help from neighbours for simply being there when we need them. So join me please to give thanks and hear songs about snow on Sunday afternoon at three. Travels with trees. We're back, still talking with the Reverend Christine Sylvania Johnson and Chris, there, we, we touched on it lightly, and now I'd like to go in a little deeper. The faith-based community has been such a political force for the last four years, and certainly everyone has the right to pursue their own religion, has the right to pursue their own opinions. But as someone who I think of as 
more open-minded than far right. How are you getting through this era of religion? And I imagine some of the people in your congregation feel more in that direction. How are you managing all these variables and getting through this difficult knot of a time? Yeah, it, it really is challenging. Um, and it, But I have to say it isn't just the past four years. Uh, the past four years have been a, a particular challenge, but there has been division in the church community and the Christian community for years and years preceding the last four years. And so um, I think it's, it's certainly ramped up um, and it's been more apparent. And it doesn't help to state your cause and state it louder than the other side. I, I mean, there shouldn't be sides. We should be on the same side. So I, I try not to do that. But uh, but there but there are certainly differences in how we approach faith. And so one thing I think is really key is you, you can't make anybody else feel or think or understand any differently than they do. Uh, I'm not saying that that's you should always just let it go, but but really the best we can always do is work on ourselves. We we can't make somebody else be who they're not. And I like to think that as we work on ourselves and how we relate in the world, um, somehow that rubs off. Uh, somehow change does come about. Um, so you know, like I said before, we we do like to practice empathy. We do try to hear what's what's beneath the surface. That doesn't always uh, get you necessarily very far down the road, but it's important for me to try and understand you. And I hope that you would then try and understand me. And it's got to start somewhere. So it might as well start with me. Um, so that's that's one thing. I, I don't know. It's about um, practicing gratitude every day. Uh, anybody on any side of any argument can can practice gratitude and hopefully that cracks you open uh, to being um, a deeper person when you can look around and say hey some this isn't all at my hand I, I don't have what I have because of me somebody bigger than me somebody more gracious and more loving than me has allowed me to um, have all these blessings in my life so it's really important to to number those, pay attention to those. And and when I'm fuming, when I just can't stand it anymore because my neighbor put up a, a sign that I don't like and, and I and you know, I wanna, I don't know, throw something at him. Yeah, you know, I, I have to take my deep breath and and step back and work on me and and work on and so gratitude is one of those things I, I revert to. I I struggle sometimes as a a gay man because religion is so often used against me and yet i'm so grateful to have grown up in a religious community and have that foundation that balancing those things is difficult and at times when i feel criticized by someone who doesn't even know me i think well that's probably not about me it's probably about some insecurity or deficit in your own life and I kind of feel uh, sometimes that answer feels a little too pat to me. So I try not to just walk away from it going, well, that's about you. Job done. But I do try to remember that I don't know what's going on 
with the people that feel or process things in a way different than I do. And and, and so that's why, you know, on the side and uh, in the place that I'm at, I, I do try to, you know, work for justice. I, I do try to to work for the betterment of the world, but it's probably not going to be by standing in the middle of the street and having a, a fight with the person who's not doing that. Um, well, and it's interesting. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about, uh, I work on the Big Eddie Film Festival with Tina Spangor and the group from DVAA. And I'm always learning something new from the films that we screen. And one was called Jimmy Carter Rock and Roll President. And in it, his son talks about his father being able to be a man of faith within the separation of church and state and within dealing with so many people who had different opinions because it boiled down to Matthew uh, 7, 1, which is do not judge so that you will not be judged. And I keep thinking that is something we as a nation need to rediscover. In general, I think people of faith kind of um, start out in two different places. And and one is that some people start out from this place of fear and this sensation that that they've always got to be um, currying God's favor uh, to be, uh, I don't know, to achieve whatever it is, if it's eternal life or whatever. But it's a fear-based thing. And so you, you've got to follow a lot, a lot, a lot of rules and never do anything, not do it wrong. I think... Lots of other folks uh, approach faith as a, you know, God loved me, God brought me into being, and there's nothing I can do that's going to separate me from God's love. So I want to go through life doing beautiful things in, in God's honor, because uh, I'm good to go. I can't really make a mistake that's that God's not going to love me for. So I, I think right off the bat, we have kind of um, two groups of, of faithful people who don't understand each other necessarily and say, well, no, this is the way we do it. No, well, this is the way we do it. And the, the quote that I go to, the biblical quote I go to is when, when Jesus talks about what is most significant, it's, you know, that there are, there are a couple of things we need to do. The most important things are to love God and we show love for God by loving our neighbor and judging our neighbor is not part of that. And so to step back from, from that judgment to, to realize where I come from, that, 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 you know, God, God loves these people as much as God loves me, uh, is very holistic. And so that, that idea, I understand what it is to, to have folks, I don't know, look down on me, um, because I don't follow the rules the way they might. Um, but again, that's, that's not where I need to operate from. I need to operate uh, out of the center of love, then that there's no room for judgment in that. Well, to me, it always feels as though God should be interpreted in terms of possibilities instead of restrictions. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's that's what I'm kind of what I mean. They thank you for saying that. It's it's um, as I view God, God is very expansive. Once we can understand God, God's not God anymore. You know, we've we once we can box God up and totally get what's going on there, then we're our own God or whatever. You know, God is so expansive. God is so abundant. There is no limit to how much God loves. There's there's no, you don't have to fall with it. If you fall outside of the framework, it's not like there's not space for you to come back in. Well, you can't fall away from something that's infinite. Right, exactly, exactly. So 
So, you know, to compete, uh, you know, if judgment kind of suggests that we're competing for a couple of slots or something, and we're not, we're just not. Well, I think that's a wonderful thought to end on. It's, it's just been wonderful talking to you today. Oh, it makes my heart just, well, leap. It just makes my heart leap. <laughs> Which is what God should do, I suppose. So we're lucky that that's one of the things that unites us. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Reverend Chris, and everyone who has listened today to Travels with Triggs on WJFF. Donna Fellenberg will be back next week with Cat's Go Character. Travels with Travels with Travels with Triggs. Who's he gonna talk to now? What's he gonna talk about? Where we gonna go? Travels with Triggs. Support comes from the Homestead School, Montessori Education, preschool through early college with campuses in Glens Bay and Hurleyville, building the intelligence, creativity, connection, and skills for an ecological future since 1978. Homesteadschool.com. From the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York, riverreporter.com. And from listener donations at wjffradio.org. On last week's Wait, Wait, actor David Ayelowo told us it's a little odd when people find out the man who starred in the movie Selma is really just a British actor. It's very weird in the gym when you're just trying to get on with uh, getting buff and people scream Dr. King at you. I'm Peter Sagal. If you listen to us at the gym, we'll shout questions at you, too. Just tune into the News Quiz from NPR. Sunday morning at 10 on Radio Catskill. It's not often that I get to talk to a legend, but on Shelf Life, my next guest is the playwright, Sir David Hare. In a poll of the 20th century's 100 greatest plays, five had been written by him. We talk about being a thorn in the side of the British establishment and his admiration for a group of women artists who defied convention in post-war New York. Join me, Aaron Hicklin, on WJFF Radio Catskill this Sunday at noon. WJFF, Jeffersonville, W233AH, Monticello.